Hi, and welcome to Harvest Bible Chapel, Kuala Lumpur Online. We hope that the following message will be a blessing to you as you seek to walk with the Lord in spirit and in truth. For more information about our church, please visit www.harvestkl.org or click the link in the description below. Good morning. Uh, good to be here with you this morning. Uh, I thank, and thank you for the invitation to come and uh, preach God's word to you this morning. I have never uh, uh, preached at Harvest, but I have visited uh, in the March of 2019. I was on a short sabbatical and I decided to visit some of the churches around. But I, I know that uh, I bring greetings from City Discipleship Presbyterian Church, uh, CDPC, and um, uh, I, I know the church uh, harvest is very dear to us because uh, I recall sometime in the middle of last year, uh, Pastor Nate had called me and said, uh, we pray for a church every Sunday and uh, this week is uh, CDPC, so do you have any prayer requests? And, I, and the following week, I was so touched, I was so impressed, and I told my congregation, uh, there's a church out there who prays and who's praying for us. And so, uh, very appreciative of Harvest and the community at Harvest. You are truly a community, a gospel community uh, who's, who cares for other churches and for other, other Christians around the, the Klang Valley. So thank you, and, and uh, it's my privilege this morning to uh, bring to you the Word of God. So... Uh, if you have your Bibles, could you turn to Acts chapter 20, Acts chapter 20, verse 17 to 38, um, Acts 20, verse 17 to 38, and the title of my sermon this morning is Finishing Well uh, in Truth, or With Truth, Tears and Trials. Finishing Well with Truth, Tears and Trials. And so reading from Acts chapter 20, verse 17 to 38, I read from the ESV version. Now from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time, from the first day I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and affliction awaits me. But I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from your, among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples from them. Therefore be alert, remembering that for years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. 
And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken, that they would not see his face again, and they accompanied him to the ship. Let's pray and seek the Lord for help. Our Father, we thank you this morning for your word to us, your precious word that is everlasting, that never fades. And I pray that your word will do a work in our hearts this morning, that your word will land on fertile soil, yielding great fruits for the gospel and for your name's sake and for the glory of our Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. There was a, a marathon runner by the name of Joseph John Stephen Aquari of Tanzania. And he, had, uh, he was a world-class distance runner and had uh, been in the field since 1960s and even to the early 70s. And he, gave, uh, he showed us what it meant to, to finish the race. Well, you see, John Aquari... Uh, in 1968, ran for the uh, Olympic Marathon in Mexico City. Approximately 19 kilometers into the 42-kilometer race, there was a jostling between some of the runners, and John Aquari had fallen badly. Uh, he wounded his knee, and he landed on his shoulder and, and really dislocated his shoulder. He hit the pavement so hard uh, that onlookers, people who were looking, thought immediately that John Aquari had to end his race. Uh, he had uh, injured his knee and was bleeding, and, uh, and medical staff had actually urged John Aquari to end his race, to withdraw. However, Aquari continued running, hopping, as it were. Actually, it was a mix of walking and slow limping and running at points. He finished the race among 57 competitors who completed the race. Others had dropped out. The winner of the marathon had finished the race in 2 hours and 20 minutes and 26 seconds. Aquari finished well over an hour later in 3 hours, 25 minutes and 27 seconds. By then the sun had set and there were, only, there were only a few thousand people left in the stadium. But of course, when John had crossed the finish line, there was a great applause from the little crowd. A television crew was diverted from the medal ceremony to John limping across the finish line and caught this courageous man agonizing to the finish and across to the finish line. But here's the bit that we never heard of. And when interviewed later as to why he ignored the advice of the medical team to pull out and to, to quit the race, Aquari said this, my country did not send me 10,000 miles just to start the race. They sent me to finish the race. As a matter of fact, of the 75 who started the 1968 Olympic marathon, 18 others did pull out and quit. And really no one even remembers the name of the gold medal winner 
although if you Google it, you probably would find it in 1968. But it was Mamo Waldi of Ethiopia. But we will always remember uh, and honor Akwari because of, he finished the race in the most difficult of circumstances. Some have suggested John Stephen Akwari has the honor of the greatest last place finish ever in the world. I have finished, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. It's not how you start the race that counts, but really how do you finish? And Paul was mindful of this and he said this, that he, I have finished the race and kept the faith. As we look at this passage today, it is a passage where John, when Paul was on his way back to Jerusalem, bearing a gift from the churches of Macedonia and Corinth for the church in Jerusalem before he heads off to Spain through Rome. And he would likely never see the people in that region anymore again. And so he was passing through, giving them his last words. Whether we are walking or running or stumbling or limping, it doesn't matter. What Paul says is that we finish the race. This was Paul's words in verse 24 itself. He said um, in verse 24 of chapter 20, I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself. If only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. What was important to Paul was to finish the race. The grand task of telling others of this gospel of the grace, it is the good news, the, great, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. How will you finish your race? At the end of your lives, what would best describe your life? What would be on uh, the epithet would be, would be assigned to you on your gravestone? Verse seven, so a bit of background here, verse 17. You yourselves know how I live among you the whole time from the first day I set foot in Asia. You see, with Paul, there is no pretending of who he was. He says, you yourselves know of uh, what I was like, who I am. There was no facade, only authenticity and integrity in how he lived his life before the community of God. He's saying, you yourselves know how I live. It's an open book, whizzy week. What you see is what you get with Paul. The message and the messenger is the same from the first day he set foot in Asia until now. He has been consistent in what he preached and he was all exalting. So how did he live his life? How did Paul live his life? And we see this here as he addresses the, the uh, Christians here in uh, um, the Miletus and Ephesus and he, and he, he shows us three things really. I want to tease out three things that, that Paul mentions here. Uh, the three words that best describe Paul's life. And they are truth, tears, and trials. Truth, tears, and trials. First truth, verse 18. How did Paul live his life? What was important to him? And this was what Paul gave his life to. Verse 18 says, uh, and when you came to, see, to him, he said to them, you yourselves know how I live among you the whole time from the first day I set foot in Asia serving you with humility. Paul had given his life, and you know it, Paul has given his life to preaching and teaching the word of God. The truth about the kingdom of God, verse 20 and 27, he says in verse 20, how I did not shrink back 
from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house. Even in this short verse, there are three pairs that we want to look into, three pairs that best describes Paul's life. Number one, he was declaring or he was preaching and then he was teaching. In verse 20, I did not shrink back from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public. So there was an a, a exercising of spiritual gifts of preaching and of teaching. Uh, he preached about the kingdom of God from the, whom the Messiah, Jesus Christ, came to establish and whom the Jews had crucified. He preached repentance of faith and, and faith in Lord Jesus Christ. He preached the whole counsel of God. And in verse 32, I commend you to God and to the word of His grace. Uh, words of grace, the gospel of Jesus Christ. What does the word of grace do to us? Two things. It builds you up. The word of grace is able to build you up and in, and in so doing, it gives you an inheritance. It says, which is the kingdom of God, eternal life, salvation. This gift of inheritance or your salvation is given to those who are sanctified, who are made holy in Christ. So the words of grace, the truth in the word of God, builds us up and qualifies us for an inheritance in him. This inheritance is given to all who are made holy or sanctified in the Lord Jesus Christ through his word. How does the word build us up and give us an inheritance? Well, Romans 1 talks about it when Paul talks about his desire to be with the church. He says, I long to be with you so that I can impart you some spiritual gifts. And then he goes on to say, not, not just me to you, but mutually encouraging one another in our faith. But Paul had in mind that he was going to go to Rome to, uh, in, in chapter 1 to, to preach to them and to teach them, to impart the word of God to them so that they may be strengthened and built up in their faith. You see, faith comes through hearing and hearing the word of God, the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. This truth, this word of God changes us from inside out through grace and brings about an obedience that comes from faith for works. Not an obedience that comes from faith for works, uh, uh, from works, but for works, for good works. The word that saves us, therefore, is the word which sanctifies us, which makes us holy. And this is exactly what Jesus said the word of God does. In John 17, 17, he says he prayed, sanctify them in the truth. Thy word is truth. The Word of God sanctifies us. The Word of God makes us holy because it changes our hearts. So that is why the preaching of God's Word each week from your pulpit, from this pulpit at Harvest, is so important because it delivers truth. And this truth is preached, which is the Word of God that changes lives, that brings about an obedience of faith not an obedience of works. You see, the pre your preacher doesn't come to you and say, here are a few boxes you need to check every day. But, but the sermon that comes to you every Sunday from your pulpit tells you about the gospel of Jesus Christ, the grace of God that is given to you that you do not deserve, but that God loves you and has given you His word of grace. Faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. 
and therefore bringing about an obedience of faith. Number two, the second pair, it says in verse 20, in public and from house to house, in public and from house to house. Verse 20, in public and from house to house. Every Sunday, we preach uh, publicly, preach the word of God from this pulpit, faithfully and as accurately as the Spirit wills. The truth is also declared not only in the pulpit, but in houses, from house to house, where life is shared and truth is shared out at home and between people. In your church, I'm sure you have care groups where people meet in smaller groups so that you can share your life together. Uh, in, in CDPC, we have care groups where 15 to 20 people meet together. Then we have something called discipleship groups that that are even smaller, that are three or four brothers that meet together to study a book together and to share their struggles and pray for one another and sisters as well, likewise. Uh, and so because it is important that we not only receive teaching from the pulpit, but that we live our lives uh, open with each other in smaller groups, in life groups and care groups, where our faith, where we are mutually encouraged with each other. Now, this is important that truth doesn't just remain information, but it is worked out in and among our community. This happens in, our, in, in the care groups, as I said, in the discipleship groups. And if you aren't experiencing joy, it's not just saying, I need to be more happy. I need to tick more boxes. I need to, to, to read the Bible more and to pray more. Yes, those are important things. But it's, it's getting into the truth, the word, finding out where you truly will get joy where joy comes, and letting the Word of God dwell in you richly, Colossians 3.16, and then finding hard situations in life and finding joy with one another as we do life together. It's like a soldier learning how to shoot in boot camp. But only when he goes to war does he truly understand what it means to shoot at a target or at an enemy. And this is where the life the, the life-on-life discipleship groups or life groups in your churches are important to make sure that truth does, just doesn't sit in the head but moves to transform the heart and the hands. And so there is a place for public preaching and for smaller house-to-house -house visits. And so Paul, in his, me is in his message, he says, I lived in a openly to you. I lived my life. What you see is what you get. And when I was with you, I was declaring, I was preaching, but I was also going from house to house teaching you in public and in house to house. And then, and then what does he say to both, uh, verse 21, to testify to both Jews and to Greeks. Next thing we notice is that truth is preached and taught in public from house to house uh, and from the pulpit to both Jews and to Greek, to the law keepers and to the law breakers, to the older brother and to the younger brother. Jews and Greeks were finding out as they lived together in community that they were both in the same dire situation. They both needed God, not just the Jews who had received the, the Old Testament, but even the Gentiles, that they were both similar and that they both needed God. They both needed repentance and faith. They both found a unity in Christ. Now you've got to think about this, that that when this was happening in the New Testament church, it was something extraordinary. That you had Jews and Gentiles both eating together, worshipping together, being in the same house together. That would never have been happened if it was not for this new, for this faith that they had in Jesus Christ. 
On one hand, we have Jews who were so proud of their righteousness, obtained through their pious observance of the law. And on the other hand, you had those who were outside, the Gentiles who did not receive such an inheritance. But what did the faithful preaching of the gospel week in and week out do to them? Well, if you read First uh, Corinthians chapter eight or Second Corinthians chapter eight, you would have heard about this: the Macedonian church, the church in Achaia, who were Gentiles, but who had heard about the need in Jerusalem, Judea, the 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 famine that was going on. Their Christian brothers, who although were Jews, were suffering. And Paul says that they they gave above and beyond what they could afford. They were not rich by any means, but yet they gave according to uh, more than what they could afford. Let me just read 2 Corinthians chapter 8. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in, this, in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. See, the gospel had landed in the hearts of the Gentiles in Macedonia. And it had moved their pockets. And it had changed their hearts. And, and the gospel had so impacted them that they were a people who do not deserve salvation and grace. But yet God had given to them. And, and what is the better response than for them to give out of the abundance of their heart, of the abundance of what God had done for them? The gospel had impacted their hearts. It had also protected the young church from heresy. In Acts chapter 20, in our text here this morning, in verse 28 and 30, it says that, uh, uh, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, uh, I know that my departure, f fierce wolves will come, not sparing the flock. And, uh, and so uh, he says to keep the purity of the gospel. Paul lays a charge on the elders in verse 28. He tells them to pay careful attention to yourselves and to the flock. Why? Because there will be fierce, salvage, savage wolves who will come in among you and who will devour the flock. No, this is not from the outside of the church, but really inside. Heretics will come out. And indeed, John in Revelations commends the Ephesus elders for keeping God and protecting the church. They heeded Paul's advice here very well. And in some 30 plus years, they were commended for that very thing that Paul had told them here in Acts chapter 20. When we see it in Revelation, when John says this, the elders had truly kept what Paul had charged them to do. In Revelations 2, Chapter 2, verse 2 to 4, it says, I know that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them to be false. How are you going to know what truth is? That it is not heresy. Brothers and sisters, it is the job of your elders and your pastors, your Bible preachers, your Sunday school teachers to defend the purity of the gospel, to preach faithfully and accurately so that it will keep the heretics out and the true disciples in. So Paul, in living his life in, openly in truth, he declared it and preached it in public and from house to house. He preached it uh, both public and house to house and also to Jews and to Gentiles. The second is, is that Paul lived his life 
with much tears. With much tears, not just truth, but tears. See how much tears is mentioned in these in this few verses as Paul talks to the to uh, addresses the the elders. He says, uh, verse 19, I served with great humility and with tears. Verse 31, night and day, warning you with tears. And verse 37, as he said goodbye, much weeping on the part of all. Much tears. Much tears in, in, in ministry. Indeed, some gospel work means saying goodbye, as did Paul in verse 37. There was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, knowing that they may never see him again. Or he said that I may never see you again, because as I go to Jerusalem, I will go straight to Rome and then to Spain. But it shows the kind of fondness and closeness that comes when we share our lives together, doesn't it? In community. When we are living our lives together uh, in, in life upon life and sharing our struggles together in a care group or in a discipleship group, there is a sense of family that is sometimes closer than blood brothers. You have just said good, and, and I know you have just said goodbye to, to your pastor Nate, uh, and, and I'm sure that was hard for many of you. Uh, I had had the opportunity to have a cup of coffee with him. Uh, sometime in December, and uh, and although I I did not spend much time with him, there was a lot of fondness for Pastor Nate because he was a very dear and loving pastor, uh, even and friend to many of us at the Gospel City Network. Um, so so there are goodbyes even in the gospel, and there are tears. But why was there that, that closeness? Why is there that 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 life that Fondness. Well, verse 18 says, uh, how I was with you. That word in verse 18, how I was with you. You know yourself how I lived among you. In the ESV, it says how I lived among you. In the original language, it would be more accurately translated as how I was exposed or open to you. In other words, Paul lived his life exposed. He lived his life like an open book. All part of his life was visible. There is a sense of vulnerability here. Sharing of life together means sharing our struggles and our failings together, as well as our victories and joys. Confessing our sins and struggles with one another. This is how we live our lives in the community, as we live our lives among Christians. We share our lives together. We share our sin and struggles together. We also share our victories and joys together. Because really, there is nothing to be ashamed of. We are all in the same situation. We are all sinners saved by grace. How about out in, at your workplace? How do you live your life? How do you live your lives in your workplaces? How, how, your, with your work colleagues? Or, or how are you connected professionally? Like, for example, when you go out on a meal for lunch, you begin to ask your, your colleague about his life or her life. How are you doing? Can I pray for you? And as you're talking, suddenly he or she breaks down in tears, maybe because uh, there is another part of life that is not in the office that you have somehow connected to, and, and there is a struggle there. There's a broken marriage. There's a difficult relationship that you have the opportunity now to speak into. You see, Paul was totally connected in all aspects of a person's life to meet you with all points of life. It says in verse 19, in weakness and in humility. 
Now you've got to understand that as Paul said this in, in his letter in the Greco-Roman world, that was not something a, a real man would do. Humility was not a virtue highly looked upon in the Greco-Roman world. In those times, the idea that Paul would even say, I come serving the Lord with humility and tears, was crazy. It was radical. In that same culture, to say that was unthinkable. Why then did Paul say, I come to you in weakness and humility? How does it work? How does he lead the church, preach the gospel in humility and weakness? It doesn't make sense, does it, to the people then? Was it a false humility, like some of us do have, like when, when we preach well or when we play the guitar well? Oh, you, that was so good. Ah, uh, yeah, no, I, I, don't know, I don't really know how to play the guitar. No, it wasn't that great. Uh, but, and, and then you say, oh, really? It wasn't a false humility. Paul was genuinely open and his life was open. In fact, the, you know, in Corinthians, you recall, he says, I boast about my weakness. And then he goes on to say how he was so afraid that his friends had to let him down a rope down. Uh, I believe it's in Acts chapter 8 because he says, I, I was afraid then for my life. And Paul says, I will therefore more than gladly boast about my weakness. You see, we all want, but the trouble is we all want to look good, don't we? We, all want to, we don't want to lose our face or, or we hang ourselves, uh, our self-worth, our identity on things that make us look good, things that we can accomplish and do well, like our careers, where we can work hard and, 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 and make it successful. It gives us a sense of accomplishment. For some parents, it may be your children that give you a sense of, of self-worth and identity your children's success. For pastors, it may be the size of your church your, or how powerful you preach every Sunday. Tim Keller calls this self-salvation projects. Self-salvation projects. The problem with self-salvation projects is that when you, uh, you're put on this spectrum, that when you do well, when you do well, you have something called an ego inflation. You feel good about yourselves. But then when you fail... When you fail, you, you do badly, you go into something called self-loathing. You hate yourself. And so if you're doing well and, and the more you succeed, you get proud. And you have an ego inflation. You, get, you become self-righteous. You become an older brother because you have everything together and he doesn't. And because you know you've done it by yourself. But if you fail, then it comes to us, you say, you're down and you say, I'm just hopeless. I'm just useless. Well, you know, for Christians, we need to just get off this performance spectrum. We need to get off this, this uh, a performance uh, continuum. How? Through grace. Through grace. The gospel comes into your life. The Bible tells us that we are all sinners. We are all broken. We cannot earn our salvation no matter how hard we try. Christ earned our, your salvation and my salvation. He died for us and took the penalty of our sins, of what we deserve upon himself. And so now we are found holy and righteous. We're declared holy and righteous before him. Christ has redeemed us and we are his. And there is nothing we can, or, or can do or don't do uh, that would make him love us any more or any less. His love doesn't depend upon that performance, thankfully. To know this kind of love is so freeing. 
We know that it is there and it's for us and it is unmovable, unshakable. And that pulls us off this spectrum of performance. It gives us an assurance of the unbroken love of Christ. And we don't have to be afraid of looking weak. We can take our masks off. We can be ourselves, ward and all. We can confess our sins to one another. We can serve one from another from humility. We can serve one another with tears, as Paul confessed, in humility and in tears. It gives you a sense of security. You know, I recall as a, as a, very, as a young pastor, actually five years ago, because I've not been a pastor long, I used to run my own business, but I recall as a young pastor, a, a person at, at a church was, was a little bit uh, un, uh, uh, toxic and, and had, a, had approached me, and I had to confront this person and say that, you know, you're, you're causing dissension and you know you need to stop or, or we, you, know, uh, you need to show more grace and, and stop being so argumentative. And, and then the, the person turned around and, and started accusing me and said, you know, you, you, you're just, you're, you think your preaching is good? You're just horrible. You're just this and that and, and was accusing me of many things. But I was really at a place that I was comfortable with the gospel. And I said, you know what? All that you said of me is not only true, but it's actually worse than that. You, you, have, you don't really know how bad I am. And what you said is only half true. And I think that disarmed the person because the person didn't know what else to say. But, you know, it gives us a sense of, of, of uh, a place of, of confidence, a place of security. So we can be vulnerable. We can expose ourselves. We can live among each other as Paul did in verse 18. We don't have to be afraid of showing ourselves of who we are, the redeemed community. Brothers and sisters, this is, this is where we want to go. This is where we want to serve the Lord with all humility and tears, unafraid, unperturbed. A sense of genuineness with each other, nothing to hide, no mask. Well, when we're together, we need to wear a mask, but no mask. You know what I mean? <laughs> well, so truth tears, and now trials. If we have truth, anchored on truth, and we have tears, genuine community in Christ, then, brothers and sisters, we are ready to face trials. Verse 22, Paul had set his face on Jerusalem. He has a mission to do, take the money uh, for the believers in Jerusalem. And the Spirit testifies that there will be imprisonment and affliction great trials and tribulation for Paul. He knows that this is what awaits him. But yet he was not perturbed. This is radical. This is mind-blowing. Verse 24, he says, I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself. Paul doesn't think of his life of any value to himself. Why? Why? Because his value, his life, his health, his safety, his worth, is in Christ. Christ has redeemed him, has bought him. He doesn't belong to himself. He belongs to Christ. He's a new creature. I have Galatians 2, 20. I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. How grand. Truth tells us that our lives are not our own. Our lives are in Jesus Christ. 
when we were crucified with him. The key is this. It is that it is this is what is different from all other religions. The life I now live in the body, God wants us to live this in the body. He doesn't want us to die as a suicide bomber. He wants us to give our breathing lives to him. All of it. By faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Truth, tears, and trials. You know, back in 2016, well, I graduated from, uh, I had quit my business. I, in 2014, I went into seminary. Some people say that uh, when you go through midlife crisis, you start to buy motorbikes and, and go on uh, adventures. Uh, I was humble. I was just humbled enough to go to uh, STM to do my MDiv uh, uh, in, at, at uh, 40, 45, I believe. Um, but I graduated in 2014. I went in in 2012 and graduated in 2014. And uh, I had just taken on the role as lead pastor in Subang uh, and was seeing that the church was growing and was starting to gain momentum. Um, but sometime in 2016, at the end of 2016, our church was at such a momentum that we were about to plant another church in KL. And Pastor Ian Brubaker, whom you, I believe, has preached here with you, um, was going to plant that church in in 2016, in December. Well, in 2016, December 2016, just as we were ready to go, I was diagnosed with uh, NPC, nasal pharyngeal carcinoma, and um, had to go through the treatment, seven weeks of radiotherapy and chemotherapy together. Uh, it was an experience that I will not promote to any of you, uh, although I highly recommend it because it drew me closer to the Lord like never before and, and nothing else could ever uh, uh, show, bring me to that point of desperation that led me close to God, uh, me and my wife. But it, but, uh, it was also that time that, that Pastor Ian was going to plant uh, KL Church and then it was also the time that uh, uh, Darlene, his wife, had, was also uh, diagnosed, I, I think, with uh, um, uh, rheumatoid arthritis, and and so we got together as a church. We were we were the leadership team was just taken aback. We were shocked beyond measure. We prayed and we asked God, "What is this? What what are you doing? What what are you, what do you have installed for us?" You see, the truth is that pain and suffering is going to come to all of us at some point, as long as we live on this side of heaven. There are churches that tell you that, that this is not the kind of life that belongs to a Christian, that we can just simply claim it and suffering will go away. Unfortunately, that is not quite true until, we, until Christ comes back again for us. Just because we are Christians, we are not spared pain and suffering. But we can face the deepest darkness, the highest obstacles, the lengthiest trial and, and testing as long as we are anchored on the gospel, the word of truth, and that we have community to share our tears together with friends as we journey through life in authentic uh, community and fellowship. I receive so much love and care from my community at Subang who came alongside, who prayed with me, who cried with me, and who walked, journeyed with me, who brought food for us as a family. Love beyond measure. I could not have, I cannot describe to you the kind of kindness that was shown to me. 
We can be ourselves, pastors, teachers, deacons, elders, leaders of the church. We need this kind of friendship in ministry who understands the gospel of grace, who we could talk, walk together and pray together so that truth can be received, tears can be shared, and trials can be carried. In closing, Luke, in telling us the story of Paul heading to Jerusalem after finishing his work, deliberately wants us to see the similarity between Paul and Jesus as they both head on to Jerusalem. Trials and affliction awaits both of them. Paul, knowing that as he goes into Jerusalem, affliction and trials and tribulation awaits him. Jesus too, similarly. Yet they both are different. How so? Paul stops at Ephesus, Rhodes, Tyre, and all these places. He sought out the disciples in chapter 21, verse 4. They hugged, kissed, knelt down, and prayed together, crying as they went along because they know that they will never see Paul again. He had so many friends. They hugged him and they wept. Versus Jesus, on the other hand, went to the cross lonely. On his way, he told his disciples to pray with him, but he found them sleeping. The next day, he's, he's crucified and he's abandoned by his father. Abba, Father, why have you forsaken me? You see, Jesus was alone so that you and I do not have to be alone. He was forsaken so that we can have a redeemed community to walk and to journey together. He was torn and crucified so that we can have unity with one another in Christ, Jews and Gentiles. How will we finish this race? In Christ for sure, because he is faithful to keep us from stumbling. But what will mark this journey and will be its description for you and I as we finish this race? What will mark our Life. What will mark, I, in the beginning of the sermon, I asked you, what is going to mark, is going to describe your life? What is going to be on your tombstone? Will it be truth, tears, and trials? As we faithfully run the race and finish the course and ministry to which the Lord Jesus has given to each of us, to you and to me. God bless you and let us pray together. Our Father, we thank you that you've called us out of darkness into your wondrous light. Lord, I thank you that you have given us the truth of your word that we can anchor our souls upon, that we can anchor our lives upon. We, we know that it will never, never disappoint us. And that through the Word of God and through the hearing of the Word of God and through the faithful preaching of the Word of God, each week in, at harvest, we know, Lord, that lives will be changed and transformed and that obedience will come out of faith and faith through hearing and hearing through the Word of God. And so we pray, Lord, that week in, week out, I pray for my brothers and sisters at harvest, Lord, may you do a work in their lives and in their heart, that the Word of God will germinate and bear fruit into a harvest that is, that is, that is ab abundance, in abundance and abounding, that it would bring much glory to your name 
in Kuala Lumpur. Father, I also pray, Lord, for my brothers and sisters at Harvest. That, Lord, there will be genuine community. That they would be able to share their lives together in openness and in a sense of, of genuineness. Lord, that there will be a sharing of tears, of tribulation, of trials, of affliction, of joy. Lord, that, that as they do life together, there will be such a fondness, such a closeness, such a unity, Lord, in my brothers and sisters at Harvest. Lord, that, that this community will be an example of what a, a community in Jesus Christ, redeemed and transformed in Jesus Christ, would look like. That people of different races and, and of different backgrounds can come together and love one another. Because you first loved us. And Lord, I pray also that as we go through various trials and tribulation together, Lord, may you sustain us. May we look upon these trials as, as building our character and building our lives up as we are sanctified by your Holy Spirit. Lord, I thank you for this time. I thank you for my brothers and sisters at Harvest. Bless them, O oh Lord. Let them be a shining light and salt in their community in Kuala Lumpur that they may do what you have called them to do, to be a blessing to the city and to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ far and wide into every nook and cranny, into every dark place in Subang Jaya, that as they live their life together, that they can say as Paul did, we've, we've fought the good fight, we've finished the race. I pray this, Lord, for my brothers and sisters. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for the time again. God bless you. Uh, and hope to see you in life, in person, once again soon. God bless you.